0: Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. So, Corey, you watched PMQs this week. Uh, what did you think? Well, I mean, you know,
1: aside from the regular pantomime, you know, Tory MPs, uh, you know, would my right and friend, agree with me that we're doing a wonderful job apart from that sort of cynical side of it, um, I, I took more notice this week of your boy Kier and his uh, his questioning of the prime minister. So he used all of his questions um, to focus on the, the nurse pay rise or lack thereof. Mm. Uh, I think it was a good attack line, you know, it, outside of uh, Mexit, it was the big story of the week in terms of the, the government, but I, I just found it weak in the sense that he you know he tied it to Dominic Cummings I mean cool yeah your first question it went something along the lines of does the prime minister agree that the the nurses are more deserving than Dominic Cummings I'm like okay cool nice nice cool little punch at your former advisor and him getting paid so much great but he just kept going with that kind of Dominic Cummings line for like the first three or four questions it's like look stick to the point people don't care people are not people are people are not asked about Dominic Cummings, he's for starters, he doesn't even work in government anymore. Okay, um, so so yeah, great as the first question, but he just kept going down that, and so he you know he followed through the rest of the questions. As I said, he kept on the nurses' point, which again I agree with in principle. It's a good attack line because you know <laughs> the majority of the public agree that the, that NHS staff, nurses, doctors, etc., should be have a substantial pay rise, not the one percent being proposed. So he could have really used it to his advantage, but. He's for all, you know, they 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 his sycophants in the media talk about how he's you know this forensic guy, you know, he's just great legal mind, you know, incisive questioning. That's all well and good. But when you have 10 minutes each week to get sound bites in, you know, you're the leader of the opposition, you're already starting from behind in terms of media coverage. I just found it very rambly, very just go just going into too much detail. And he'd fill his some of his questions, he'd fill them with too much. You know, a couple of questions were what I think PMQ's questions from the Leader of the Opposition should always be. It should be simple, straight to the point, so that it's obvious when the Prime Minister's mm. ignoring the question. And he did that for about two questions. But the other four questions, he's just talking about three, four different things in the same question. So then it, it gives Johnson the ability to completely sidestep three things and just stick to his talking points. You know, uh, so it was a better performance than I've seen bef- than I've than I've seen him do before. But yeah, I just thought it was a bit weak. Uh, so after that, you know, as I said, you've got the regular pantomime of then uh, people on the government benches asking the prime minister if he thinks he's doing a wonderful job, and and then you had you know SNP questions on you know how ill-treated Scotland is. Apart from that, it was yeah, it wasn't that eventful this week.
0: Well, carrying on from your nurses, uh, the nurses pay rise, I think probably what is informing Keir, you know, going on and on about it as well is because I think that is the tagline from the the campaign for the local elections, which are coming up in May. You know, I think that's what they're gunning with, really. So he's going to keep definitely going on about it because it's obviously, you know, it's a very favourable view to take that, you know, they should get more than 1%. But seeing that as it's likely that a total U-turn is coming, I don't know how they are going to be able to continue that as a marketing point. If it happens in the next few weeks, what are they going to do between now and May as a new campaign line? And as well, you know, Angela Rayner going on the press rounds this week talking about they don't want 5%. They don't want the recommended 12%. So they know what they're against, as we always, as is often the... Um, issue with what people are talking about with Labour, is that they We've know what they're that. against?
1: We've got that, so we can play that, play that in. Raina, okay, play that now. On, uh...
0: The Labour Party manifesto 2019, you were saying they should get 5%. So, uh, well, I mean, have you come down from that marker and if you could say a number then, why can't you say a number now? Well, you know, we're talking about our election launch for May now and, you know, what we've got to remind ourselves in that manifesto in 2019, the general public completely rejected it. You know, it was one of our worst election defeats. So what me and Kira have done when we took over the leadership of the Labour Party is listen to voters. And if you listen to voters now, 12 months on from the start of this pandemic, they would say that the government should at least honour its promise to our NHS workers...
1: so what did you think about that?
0: Well, this is just indicative of Labour's key problems that they're having with connecting with the electorate. They know what they're against, but they can't really tell us what they're for, or they're waiting for the public to tell us what they're for and then telling us that they agreed with us all along. There isn't any sort of policy. It's They're always playing catch up and... To be honest, I think everybody can see it. And then when it, when the Tory U-turn comes, as I feel like it's likely to, um, they're going to be playing catch up again. Because now, what are you arguing about? What have you What have you got to show? What is your overall policy other than you know, arise? But we won't say how much we do want. We just know we don't want it to be one percent, and we don't want it to be what we previously said in the manifesto. So you know what you don't want. What do you want? I think
1: that's the only way they get out of this. Because like you said, the government are uh, there's going to be a U-turn. Of course, you know it's it's not staying at one percent. The only way that they win out of this is by coming out first and coming out with a number and then also hoping that the government don't just gazump them and go higher than that number, which if they go for a reasonably high enough number, like just play politics, go for an unrealistic number. You're in opposition, say 10%, just say it, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not going to be 10%. So you then at least can fall back on, oh, well, they're not doing what they should be doing. Or you pick a number, again, uh, what was coming out from the, the 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 what was voted on last year, you just pick a number that you can't lose on and then move on from there. Because like you said, they are going to turn around. So it's it's got limited capital, political capital potential for them. So just, just grow a pair and say something, like you said. But yeah, that's your party anyway.
0: Um, I mean, I don't know if they are my party, to be honest. I won't come out in favour for them in any sort of loud and riotous way because... Frankly, they're not offering any sort of policy alternatives that I'm really interested in at this point. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, um, I guess that leads us
1: into um, our third piece, talking about the mayoral the mayoral elections in your city.
0: Indeed, the mayoral elections, mayoral elections in a London town. We've got uh, Bailey Gammons, Uncle Sean. I won't be giving him any sort of honorific. Um, And the other guy who we won't talk about because he's irrelevant—the actor, or he wishes he could get an acting job. Um, Mr Fox. And and obviously Sadiq Khan, who seems like the only sensible one out of the bunch. I mean, there's others, but those are the ones who are making a bit of noise, who are penetrating through anyway. Um, I mean, Sean Bailey. What, what a catastrophe, what a shambles, just, what is it, they they use the anomaly shambles, if anyone's anomaly shambles, it's Sean Bailey, we've got, uh, you know, the homeless saving 5k to get on the property ladder. I
1: missed that, he said that?
0: Yeah, he did, yeah, he's gonna, the the issue is how he's gonna sell homelessness, he's gonna sell the homeless houses, you know. uh, He's going to sell
1: the homeless houses
0: absolutely that's what he said baby he also he also said um what did he say just the other day actually oh well he tried to he tried
1: to politicize the uh the sad now uh death of uh, sarah everard didn't he
0: he absolutely did i mean i think that's where frankly a lot of people have you know I think it was already a write-off anyway, but I think that's put the nail in the coffin in terms of him really being acceptable somewhat even in political life because what the hell was that, you know? It was disgusting. Yeah. It's and I mean, been a really... Not that it would
1: make any difference, but, you know, she was still at that point just missing. Um, yeah. I mean, it'd be bad if he did it now. Now we know what's happened. It'd still be as bad, but for him to come out with that, you know, so soon after she was just missing. Um,
0: why are you politi- Why are you making this about your mayoral election at all? So I guess for
1: those who don't know, um, Sean Bailey tweeted in the week that uh, don't don't have the exact tweet to hand, but it was words to the effect of, you know, when he's mayor of London, he'll be, I guess, tougher on crime, or he'll be, he'll. Be... It was something to do with helping in policing, and he, he just made he tried to make a political point out of out of a very tragic disappearance, and now, and now, uh, death. Yeah, so, exactly. So, um, but I did see somebody somebody tweeted um, the other day and they basically said something which I had not thought of before, but made perfect sense. And the person said, the only reason that that tweet is still up, because people are calling for it to come down, you know, this mm-hmm. up, I think now, three days later.
0: So, mm-hmm,
1: it is. The reason that that's been allowed to stay up is because the Conservative Party don't really want to win. Um, it it would be much easier to just stay in opposition and rail against Khan for the next four years Uh, they don't really want to win the election so they're not really bothered
0: but I think also we have to take into account the time like they made their mayoral pick very very early you know and I think they probably didn't um they didn't uh count for they obviously got that vaccine bump in the polls at the moment which could have would have would have helped an actual real contender potentially um actually you know give Khan a bit of trouble but They've, where they've backed, you know, the wrong horse or they didn't really care, they just put in whoever, now it's, you know, it's not coming up in their favour. And I think, you know, we're better for it, to be honest, because they well, don't need absolute your, control.
1: I read a piece in your favourite magazine, The Spectator, um, <laughs> last week, and the, the point that the columnist there was making was that, again, a similar kind of feeling that the Tories are basically just approaching it with hopelessness. And the point he was making was, you know, they could actually win, they could actually make a real, or they could they could at least put up a real challenge. Um, and yeah. his, his sort of argument was that they need to remember that they've had a Conservative mayor of London in the not too distant mm-hmm. past, they had Boris Johnson. Ah. And he was, and what the the argument of this person who was uh, doing the column in the spectator, I can't remember which who, which journalist it was, uh, the point he was making was, what well, all they need to do is just approach whoever their candidate is, have them approach um, the elections from uh, as liberal a con- as liberal a point of view as you can as a conservative, because essentially Johnson ran very much, you know, relatively speaking to the left of where he is now when he mm-hmm. was mayor of London. And the mm-hmm. argument is, why don't they just try and do that again? Yeah, they might not win, but they could certainly make a good challenge.
0: But also it's um, it's a difficult, different political landscape, I think, because Sean's definitely trying to run as a culture war sort of candidate. But that doesn't that doesn't, doesn't hold sway in London. London. It yeah. doesn't work. This is not I don't know. Keel, mate. No one here. Like no one's buying the statue argument. No one's buying your, you know, nim, your NIMBY this and that and the other. Like we're not. No, that's not going to work here. I know that you've been uh, having a bit of a read-up about what's going on in Bristol with regard to the reparations motion, so give us the lowdown.
1: Yeah, so uh, this, is, uh, this is actually week before last, but, you know, still recent recent history. And also, it's I uh, I am a subscriber to the UK Gleaner, which is like uh, the Jamaica, the UK version of the Jamaica Gleaner, and this was on their front page this week, so I thought it'd be good to bring it up. Uh, so Bristol Council, a couple of weeks ago, passed a motion in favour of reparations for slavery and uh, they've also called for a parliamentary commission of inquiry to be set up to investigate reparations for the UK's part in the slave trade. So I, I found that interesting, I, I, I've i read a few pieces on it, uh, you know, I read one from The Guardian, one from The Telegraph, <laughs> complete opposite. That was uh, very Thanks. interesting. Yeah, it was interesting to see how both sides took it. I mean, to be fair, the piece in The Telegraph was really just a news piece, it wasn't a, so much an, an opinion piece. But uh, you know, I did delve into the comments. Um, you can guess what the comments said. Uh, so, I mean, I'll just read out a statement from one of the councillors who pushed it, and just give a bit more background to it. So, this is mm-hmm. one of the green green councillors in in Bristol, and she said uh, she she said it's of international significance that this cross party motion has passed. Um, she said Bristol is now the first core city in the UK to give our support to the growing campaign for reparations. And she made a, a point about what reparations is and what it potentially isn't. So she said that uh, reparations isn't a paycheck. She said that reparations is actually a legal concept defined by defined by the UN, which calls for holistic repair. And it can include public apologies, social justice initiatives, education, cultural projects, commemorative ceremonies, affirmative action and much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I found it interesting because, you know, as she said, she, Bristol is the first city in the UK, uh, in terms of local government to, to to call for it, which is really interesting. I, I mean, I'll put my cards on the table. Reparations are never going to happen. Um, I just don't, I don't think it's going to happen, uh, or at least not in the sense that people want for it to happen. You know, there is a, there is a, a group in, in the West Indies, which is for, formed out of CARICOM, which is basically the Caribbean equivalent to the EU. Um, and there's a commission there, which has been set up for many years. And, and their work is really uh, based on that. Well, that commission, the reparations commission, they've, they've been really hot on this for a number of years. So I, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not saying it shouldn't. I'm, not saying it should, I'm just saying I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but I think it would be a, a, it would be still a game changer if, you know, this did make it to parliament. And this motion, what this motion calls for is a cross, par, cross party parliamentary commission. I think if that did happen that would be that would be huge and that would be a real a really good step because it would really put put it front and center because you know this is just, just one council uh, but if it was if it was really done from a parliamentary perspective you know you've got something there a national a national commission set up looking at reparations and I think it would be really helpful in uncovering um and investigating in terms of what happened and also how things are affected to this day and what what outcomes there can be, because there will then be a question which needs to be answered. How that question would be answered is another story, but the question will be there in everybody's face to be answered. So I think it would be a really good thing if it, even if it just made it to a parliamentary inquiry.
0: I just think that in the political landscape that we're in right now, where everything has become tit for tat, culture war, you can't talk about slavery. You know, there's all the the muddling of education, the muddling of um, the National Heritage Trust, the National Trust. Sorry, I think I can't see it to be honest. I really can't see it. It would be great to even have a conversation, but this government has shown that you know that a culture will benefits them. It really does to to be spending the time mired in arguing about woke quote unquote woke politics. You know, so yeah, definitely.
1: I, I think as well, and, and I like to
0: optimistic politics, but I'm not optimistic on this one, unfortunately. Let's talk about the uh, Meghan and Harry of it all, coming from the institution that owes me a bag of money. Let's go, because you were, you've got some uh, views as our resident royalist.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa! And royalist, I, I, I'm just, I'm just a realist. I'm a realist.
0: You pledge pled allegiance to QE two. You've told me so. Please don't come on here and lie.
1: I, I'm not lying about anything. I'm not. I'm not. i I am not a Republican either. I'm not. That's your fave. That That's your fave. It's okay. Anyway, um, so there has been a lot of talk this week in light of the Meghan and Harry, or rather, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, as is their yes, so exactly.
0: The Duke and Duchess of Sussex.
1: Uh, their interview with Sussex. Oprah last Sunday.
0: Ooh, the queen been... of uh, interviews.
1: Indeed, although on popular opinion,
0: I don't think she did that great of a job. But anyway, uh... yeah, because it wasn't an inter- interrogation, really. I think people were looking for an investigative, interrogative interview, and it wasn't really like. But also, I don't think she had the background.
1: That no, that and that's that's what I mean. That's my main issue. That I just don't think she had, with all due respect, the range um, for well, it. And I mean, I, I, that's well, not. An she attack. had
0: the range for an interview. She don't didn't don't have think... the range. To, yeah. to dissect royalism and the like what did you think going into this colonialist patriarchal institution, etc. etc. Like, of course she's not gonna have the range because she comes from a republic? Yeah,
1: I just think that if there was a, a British inter if it was a British interviewer, you know, we could have saved the 15-20 minutes of shock horror that she either I don't know if she feigned it or whether mm. she was mm. genuine, but regardless there were a lot of there was a lot of response and reaction which as a British mm-hmm. interviewer or at least at a British interviewer who was honest would just know and would pass it away and then we'd have more time to
0: but realistically if it was a British interviewer they wouldn't have been honest because they would have been like oh my god oh no racism it would have been you know who who here in Britain who is has the clout to have to garner that sort of interview it, it would be an old white man
1: Nope, I'd say serious. get Uncle Trevor Macdonald out of retirement. Don't know where that guy's been for the past fifteen years. Get him out of retirement, and he would have done it anyway. Anyway, the point though I wanted to make about this was sort of you know bringing it back as a you know bringing it out of sort of just the gossip side of it. There's been you know it, it's caused a lot of renewed calls for you know a republic and you know the end of the monarchy and and please not free only- us
0: from these. Roaches. Not only from
1: not only from this side of the pond, but also I've noticed it a lot, especially on Clubhouse. I've spent a lot of time on Clubhouse this week. Because Yikes. I was, yeah. Um, and they've been, I've been in a lot of rooms where, you know, a lot of Americans and, you know, they, they think sort of the Republic is coming tomorrow. They think it's, you know, 1776 part two. And I'm like, I'm there trying to be polite, but basically <laughs> saying, guys, no, come on.
0: We will lie. never be free. We well, will I never I be say free. That because
1: I don't think we're under tyranny. But anyway.
0: Um, I mean... Yes. I don't live in Kensington Palace, so I'm on the t- That doesn't first. mean you're yeah, on the tyranny. Just don't
1: live in Kensington Palace. But what mm.
0: my point is—certain so- men are living free, and it ain't me. Okay. My point
1: is, the republic is not coming. It's not coming any. It's not. It's just not going to happen. Like I was trying to mm-hmm. explain to them that the royal family are so intrinsic to the identity of the United Kingdom.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I
1: was trying to think of something comparable for them, and I, I remember in one conversation, I said to one of them, "Okay, so just imagine that from your national story as America, you just erase the revolution." That's how impossible it would be to imagine. In the same way you can't imagine America without the revolution. I mean, obviously, because that's how it came I about. Can. <laughs> well, in the same way, you can't, in my mind, you can't imagine the United Kingdom without the, 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 the current setup that we have where we have a monarchy.
0: Politics, politics, and change is about imagination. I say this to you all the time. You have to imagine the world that we want. We no, have to imagine a better world. Thing. It comes. From the seed in our mind and it grows into a mighty oak no that is is how we get change
1: no but this is one of the points i made and shameless plug i wrote a little article last week i started a medium blog and i I wrote something link it i will link it in the description It'll be linked um where i basically i think the title, i think i entitled it there will be no british republic and again going back to what you were saying there, you're saying that oh imagination and people should think of what they want you know this sort of optimistic politics but here's the thing most people in the uk don't want a republic
0: most people in the are think...
1: happy with the status quo. Okay, not, I the think they just don't. They don't. They don't care. Well, I don't know. I think that's. I think that's underestimating people's thought level on it. I think most the polls are there. You know, the vast majority of the country wants to keep things the way they are. Okay, so time for the main course. What is the main
0: course this week? We're talking about the police, crime, sentencing, and courts bill, and uh, yeah like a uh, pretty, really didn't pull her punches with this one. We knew she was coming and she came in hard. A lot of it uh, updates, replaces and amends the stuff from the Public Order Act 1986. Obviously, um, from my side of the political spectrum, I'm thinking about this in terms of the effects that it's going to have with regards to protesting and in generally raising your voice against the government as it's, you know, the politics of the unheard currently the politics of the unheard is that you're not allowed to be heard as one of the thresholds is if you make too much noise and a protest can now be considered one person so it lowers the the threshold for police intervention it adds noise restrictions it um it's added a criteria with regards to the impact of a protest so and it's you know which what does that mean there's no definition there doesn't need to be a definition as they pretty can use statutory instruments to change the meaning and there's even a note that you know if not, someone's not sure she can come in at any time and say this can be considered impact and it changes the uh, threshold for uh, protesters whether they knowingly um, ignored any calls to disperse from the police which they can use to prove that they didn't hear something over a loudspeaker or a tweet or whatever now that's been changed to ought to know which how are you ought to know anything what does that what does that mean it's yeah. a lot more vague wording really because i think i think pretty has I, made it clear sorry just let me just fix one second yeah. pretty has just made it quite clear that um she doesn't want us out in these streets she especially is not trying to hear from the ethnics she wants us to sit down and shut up and do what we're told and i think that's made it quite clear and if this is a for the party of free speech Supposedly, and mm, pff, speech is no longer free.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I go that far, but yes, I think there are there are some things in there that worry me, like especially that the, there's the aspect in there where it, there, there seems to be way too much power in the hands of um, the Home Secretary of the day, whoever that mm-hmm. is. And at the moment, obviously, it's Brij Patel um, to sort of tweak. Yeah, that 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 part definitely worried me because you know, of the implications. We already know what Pretty Purcell thinks of protests. We already know what she mm-hmm. thinks specifically of the protests last year. You know, mm-hmm. there was a viral video that went around when she was interviewed on LBC about a month ago, about three, three weeks, four weeks ago with Nick Ferrari. Um, and she was, <laughs> he caught her in a bit of a slip up, at, whether it was a Freudian slip or not, um, is up for interpretation where she said, you know, she's against protests.
0: You saw policing as well coming under a great deal of pressure through some of the protests. I don't support protests, and I also did not support the protests that were associated. You don't support protest? I, I didn't support the protests. Oh, that
1: protest. I thought you said you didn't support yes. protests at all. I know it's a yeah, draconian no, the, government, the, the, but I didn't know I could go to jail no, for ten those, years those for protest. Protests, I, think I do go on.
0: Well, well those protests were dreadful. And yes, so- indeed.
1: Now, she, she tried to correct that. Again, the correction, even the correction itself was quite clumsy in saying, oh, she meant the protest last year. Uh, but even that's problematic to me because there is this notion all the time with all of these sorts of protests. To there's there's this notions propagated that these protests are violent. They are there's no order. They're they're dangerous, and I watched that in real time last summer with the protests uh, in London. Uh, I and
0: mean, I was yeah, I mean, I was year. there. I think so, you were there. I
1: remember talking to you yeah. when you were there. There was uh, another friend of mine. She was actually uh, she went live on IG, videoing exactly what was happening, the, the police kettling and on all of that. Mm-hmm. And it was quite clear from people I personally know, like yourself who was there, other people I know who were there, other videos I've seen, other reports, it was it was manifestly obvious that what little violence or what little sort of acts of public... Uh, disorder at the most,
0: disorder there was not it violence. Yeah, it was, that's what I'm saying. It was, and it, any quote-unquote violence was police letting horses off into a crowd of people. Terif- like terrifying people but it
1: was it was definitely the minority the the, mm-hmm. the the overwhelming minority the overwhelming majority of it was just loud but that is that yeah. not what a protest is that's is that not what a protest well, it's is? not
0: allowed to, it's not allowed to be loud that's one of the uh one of the requirements is if it's the noise restrictions and if it affects yeah. even one person makes a noise complaint it's got to go yeah you know the yeah. whole point of a process is to be heard that's the point but as you said pretty doesn't like protest she does not believe in the voices of the unheard she doesn't want to hear from the plebs she's like she doesn't she's a, the lumpen proletariat should shut up and get you know get down in the new coal mines that these lot are talking about opening really and it's quite clear that this is you know one to you know find the flames of the culture war but two to suppress speech um there's also they've added the 10-year sentencing for quote unquote statues I mean 10 years for mm-hmm. at what would be you know vandalism at best I mean come on really let's look at that's what statues. we're doing
1: I find that I find that quite interesting because a lot of the time these people whether it's politicians or media personalities they're very good at obfuscating and creating straw men and really just throwing in red herrings to these debates and so a lot of the time they're I wouldn't say that they're, they're, they're clever in it because you can see through it but because because of who they are and how they speak, sometimes it's, it's easy for people just to pick up on false narratives and run with them. But every so often, they really do betray what they actually think. So um, a lot of people, when they're talking, especially this statue point, I found that really interesting. How, and that really shows to me people really betraying what they actually think. So people are always talking, especially in the context of last summer, about statues being pulled down, et cetera, et cetera really, there was only really one statue that really hit the news last year that got pulled down. And who was that statue of? It was the statue of somebody who was responsible for approximately 80,000 people being trafficked across the Atlantic 250 years ago. So by people constantly harping on about their defense of statues being torn down, no, you're defending a specific statue of a specific heinous individual. So my question then is, I'd love to be the interviewer on the other end of these interviews, because my question then would be, OK, so why do you want to defend Edward Coulston? Leave it there. Or or, or even or, or make it even more direct. What qualities of Edward Coulston do you think that we should be preserving? Lord,
0: don't and let them try Britain and get out was of that the first country, Well, Britain was the first country to free the slaves, don't you know? You should be bloody grateful.
1: Well, listen, I know my history. I, 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 I'd you respond be, to that one very easily. You should but, be grateful. But, we let
0: you lot leave.
1: I thought what was quite you. You mentioned before about things to do with the noise levels. So, what are, this this new bill now, what may become a new act, uh, what this law would do is essentially what it, what they're trying to do. And this is coming heavily from from some from from some corners of the police. What they're trying to do is bring in a lot of the rules that already exist for marches into static protests. And again, that's very much reflective of what happened last year because a lot of those protests last year were you know in one place obviously you were at the ones in London I was at ones in Manchester I I, I did attend a couple in Manchester just to sort of have a look I felt a bit out of place because it was really I mean it was the average age was like 18 year olds I was like Mm -hmm. I really felt like an observer
0: they were very young and very um they were very young and very white it was quite surprising
1: actually yeah it was very in a good way Oh yeah of course yeah I mean okay yeah, in a good way. Mixed, it was a very it was a very mixed crowd um not so much mixed in age but mixed in terms of ethnicity every every mm-hmm. table was there and i thought that yeah. was I thought it was quite interesting um and quite good it was nice but different people from different backgrounds who can you know find common cause which is you know always usually a good thing but that those protests and they there was a bit of marching involved but the majority of them were they would be in they would then march to a specific place and be there for like Mm -hmm. three or four hours I'm guessing it was similar in London right yes so so part of this 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 law then is to bring in because you can't police those in the same way they can police a march there are a lot more rules around marches than there are towards static protests. And so this bill again is to bring in a lot of those sort of those sort of noise regulations are what already exist for marches and they're trying to bring them into static protests so where you're in just one place so for this week's across the pond section uh, i thought we could skip across the caribbean you know last week we went to america uh, so i just wanted to make a quick couple of comments about the vaccine rollout the COVID vaccine rollout in the caribbean so now pretty much every country, every island, every country in the Caribbean now has begun vaccination. As somebody who travels there a lot, I'm very happy about that because I know people want to get back across there, especially for Carnival and, and everything else. Uh, so, so, yeah, most countries have started vaccinations there. Uh, Jamaica had a delivery on Wednesday this week. I think that was uh, and then Bahamas on Thursday, I believe, and I think they were the last two. Uh, countries to to get their their deliveries all interestingly so far have been from india so mm-hmm. all of the vaccines so far in the caribbean have come as a gift of the people of india as the boxes say you'll see them on social media and uh yeah it's a good thing i think there are there are some concerns i did read a comment from the prime minister of trinidad he's the mm-hmm. chairman current chairman of CARICOM. again CARICOM for listeners is basically the caribbean's equivalent of the eu and he expressed concern that the Separate. So separate to the gift from India, they've, they've sent about 170,000 vaccines so far to the Caribbean. So in addition to that, there's the COVAX scheme. So the COVAX scheme is essentially a, a club where rich nations have put money into that scheme to distribute vaccines to poorer nations. So in the Caribbean, that would only cover 20% of the population for each island. So they would, so under the COVAX scheme, Twenty percent of the vaccinations they need would come from Covax. Uh, again, back to Prime Minister's questions. Uh, I think Boris was uh, beating his chest this week, saying that so far the UK have put five hundred and fifty million pounds into that into that scheme, which uh, which is good. So, but there is there are concerns from 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 Caricom that you know other nations have been really sort of jumping ahead. Well, not jumping ahead, but you know vaccine nationalism, and they are concerned mm-hmm. that the rollout could be delayed. But so far, signs are really good. I think Barbados is leading the way so far. They've vaccinated fifty thousand people. Uh, I'm a not lot. sure if it's that proportion of the adult population that is, but considering their total population is just shy of three hundred thousand, that's a sixth of their population, uh, which is really good. And that's they want to be going, and that's been in about a month, which is really good. They're
0: yeah, doing better than Canada.
1: So the numbers are promising. I'm seeing numbers on what's coming this month, next month, from different sources. Whether it's more from India, more from Covax. Uh, so things do 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 seem to be picking up. I guess just one last point in that I was reading the Jamaica Gleaner earlier earlier this week. And there is concern in terms of take-up, vaccine take-up. You know, they're, they, they're aiming for 70%. That's the sort of general figure which a lot of the islands are aiming for, 70% to reach herd immunity. And looking at the numbers, the health minister in Jamaica, he was quoting a recent poll where only 40% of the population were solid on taking the vaccine. You compare that to the UK, it's 80% here. So that's half in terms of proportion wow. of the population, which is concerning. Uh, and then a further, I think, 25% or so sort of waiting for more information. But there's a good 30% who outright say, no, not taking it.
0: Yeah, so I
1: mean... 70% for herd immunity, but that would mean that everybody who said they want to take it will take it. And it would also then mean that everybody who's undecided becomes decided to take it. So there's going to be an uphill struggle you know currently they're just vaccinating health workers army police uh, elderly people but you know once it gets like like we are here now in the uk here looking at sort of the younger people 40s 50s once it gets to that point that will really tell us how how um low that take up might eventually be and hopefully it won't hopefully people will start to see that you know hospitalizations decrease hospitalizations really are terrible in jamaica right now yeah you know the hospitals you know i mean getting... they're still letting
0: americans in so
1: yeah i think i think that's part of the reason you know again just last final point the prime minister of trinidad the reason he was so concerned was because you know they're talking about tourism they're like look we need to get vaccinated so we can let tourists in because whether people like it or not and this is probably a debate for another show you know mm-hmm. tourism is vital to the caribbean and so the quicker they can get vaccinated and the quicker other countries can get vaccinated too the better.
0: You know, just as an aside, it was a perfect opportunity for all of these countries to look at ways to diversify the economy, to take it as an opportunity to stimulate different parts or, you know, what else is out there? We can't constantly be relying on outside money 24, you can't be relying on outside money 24 seven. It's just, but you know, like you said this for another day, but Mm. it was a really, it was really an opportunity to do that. And they fumbled that bag. Well, maybe they have. Um, I mean, we'd you know. are right. You're right. We don't know have, the inner workings.
1: Yeah, hopefully there have been you know inquiries and whatever people looking at future options. I know in, in again back to Jamaica, I'll, I'll try to diversify my island views and future shows. But um, just <laughs> just because it came to mind, and um, sort of finance minister there, they 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 presented their budget this week, similar to how we did last week, and they he was he's looking at essentially creating a parallel digital currency, which I found. Wild, slightly concerning, but I need to read more into that. And there's I guess a very that... massive
0: digital divide in Jamaica. so yeah.
1: So that that's but that that may be uh, another avenue of sort of trying to diversify mm-hmm. the economy as well. So you know, mm-hmm. I think there are there is a lot of thought being put into that at the moment. But we have to accept mm-hmm. that for now, and probably for the next two decades at least, tourism is still going to be the number one driver of definitely foreign exchange into into the island. Yeah, I
0: agree. So, Um, your thought of the week. Okay, so, rounding up with my thought on the week, it's a bit of a sombre one, as you know, I think we've all been following the news with regards to what's happened to Sarah Everard, and um, now we've received the confirmation with regards to her no longer being here with us. Um, And I just wanted to really echo so many women have been sharing their stories this week with regards to unsafe interactions that they've had with men whether they be strangers or not and i just wanted to say that you know women deserve to be safe outside they deserve to be safe whether it's nine o'clock at night or one o'clock in the morning they deserve to be safe in an uber on the bus they deserve to be safe at home they deserve to be safe at work they deserve to be safe at the gym And the response with regards to more police numbers is just not enough. We need a better response from our government. We need a better response from our leaders. But also we need a better response and further introspection from men. But I don't want to really make this that because this is our moment. And I just want to, you know, send out my thoughts my love um, my prayers to Sarah's family and also to everyone every woman really because we all know you know the situation when you're walking and it's dark and there's somebody behind you that you get the drop in your stomach you... Turn down the music if you've been listening to music at all, or if you've even got your headphones in, just as a decoy. You start walking faster. You look across the road to see if there's other people about. We've all, we've all been there, and it's enough now. It's enough, and something has to be done. And I just wanted to uh, end it there.
1: Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Not That's N O T B A M E Pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbanepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.